Real Estate Investment Trusts. REITs is a very popular topic among investors, but today we will approach it from a retirement planning point of view and how you should allocate accordingly. Therefore, we'll talk about having a core portfolio and a satellite portfolio. How to define them? What are the different metrics and financial ratios to look at? And what type of REIT strategy to use for each portfolio? We discuss frameworks for evaluating REITs and that includes fundamental and technical analysis and an understanding of the macroeconomic environment. We look at upcoming trends and new opportunities. For example, what REITs should you focus on for a COVID-19 recovery play? We also touch on global REITs, including China REITs. So join me in understanding the latest developments. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name is Andrew and welcome to another Chill with TFC session. In this series, we hope to bring on interesting and relevant people to help us learn better from various perspectives. Life is not always about learning from the people you agree with. Different perspectives shape us to be more well-rounded in our thinking. So in the pursuit of the life we love, while managing our finances as well, my guest today is a REIT speaker and trainer at SGX, Singapore Exchange Limited. He doesn't just train, he walks the talk as well. He's a REIT specialist and independent financial advisor. Let's hear from Kenny Lowe. So today we're going to talk about REITs, mainly focus on REITs, but because you also have background in retirement planning. So let's talk about REITs in the context of retirement planning. You, using the lens of retirement planning, how should you allocate? Do you give a suggestion to your clients, like what percentage of their portfolio should they allocate towards REITs? Yeah. Just tell us about it. So, so actually retirement planning, some people make it very complex, but I just want to make it very, very simple. You just imagine yourself, right? If you want to retire at 65 years old. Fast forward, we have 65 years old. You are no longer working in any corporate. You are not exchanging your time for your income. Definitely, you need some sort of a passive income to really sustain your lifestyle. For example, you live from 65 years old to 90 years old. There's another 25 years to go, right? So where are the money come from? You always have to think of it. Where the money come from? It's definitely not come from your employment income. Your money can be a few forms. The first of it, you'll be from a cash. Whatever cash you accumulate over the years, basically you'll be drawing down. The second form of income, you'll be from your uh, CPF life. It depends on what kind of CPF life you uh, opt in, in uh, when you reach 55 years old. I, I just use some example. If you can top up your CPF life to maybe ERS, you probably you have $2,002 per month uh, income uh, perpetually. Which means that if you outlive your your own retirement planning at 90 years old, 100 years old, you, you can get this $2,200 keep coming in. That's the second form of income, right? The third uh, source of income is basically you'll be drawing down for your own investment portfolio, right? For example, you have 1 million investment portfolio. This 1 million you'll be drawing down for the next 25 years. Another sort of income you'll be from your uh, rental income from a property, Okay, the fifth one, probably you can build a dividend portfolio. This dividend portfolio can be consists of bonds and also can be consists of the REITs itself. But each of the asset class, they are pro and cons. So if you look at cash, if you look at the CPF line, they are not inflation hedge. 
when the CPF life itself, the 2,200 uh, per month is perpetual. That means when you reach uh, 90 years old, 100 years old, they still pay you $2,200. That actually has some disadvantage because uh, over the years, you have inflation, right? That, that means your uh, purchasing power will be reducing. So those, although you are getting a guaranteed payout, but you'll be losing out over the long term in the erosion, erosion of the purchasing power. So you definitely need another... Uh, allocation into the portfolio which is inflation hedge if the inflation goes up your dividend payout you goes up and also your net asset value goes up the share price it goes up right that is the hedge of inflation so to make it simple for retiree itself for retirement definitely you need two portion one is guaranteed portion one is non-guaranteed portion that will probably build your retirement portfolio nicely when i talk about retirement here not necessarily for those uh younger listener you need to wait until 65 years old before you can retire you got to plan before that <laughs> yeah when we talk about retirement we are always uh, mentioning is financially retired okay you can be financially retired 35 years old 40 years or 65 years old when you financially retired you always ask yourself you are spending this amount of money okay from where uh, what kind of portfolio which can generate that kind of passive income to cover your expense. Once you are able to cover your minimum expense, you are financial free. You can do whatever thing you want. So, you talk about the guaranteed portion and non-guaranteed portion. How does REITs play a part? Okay, REITs, you play a part in the non-guaranteed portion. The dividend from REIT is not fixed. You can be going out and also can be coming down. So, as long as you choose a REIT which have a good track record and have a consistent distribution per unit growth year over year, and also have uh, having a very good uh, underlying property, those are the rate that you can have uh, less worry about it. And, and over the long terms, in the inflation, the rental income definitely will go up. When the rent, rental income goes up, that means your DPU, uh, distribution per unit, you goes up as well. That, mean, that means your dividend will be growing up. Okay, and at the same time, uh, you also can pass on your REIT portfolio to the next generation. It's unlike the CPF life. Once you use it up, your next generation, your beneficiary, you will not enjoy anything. Your cash, if you uh, finish drawing down all your cash, you cannot pass on the next generation. So REIT beside to give you the element of growth and uh, at the same time, they also can give you uh, uh, a peace of mind for estate planning purpose. Mm. So there's, there's growth, there's the dividend, right? From the REITs itself as yeah. well. Okay, so... Well, do you have a recommendation for your clients? And the answer is usually it depends. Allocation in terms of like portfolio, how much percentage you know should they put to REITs as part mm. of you know estate planning? Yeah, depends. Okay, first first element we always use a CPF line as a base case for planning purpose. I just quote an example: If you need four thousand dollar per month to spend, uh, and your CPF line you give it two thousand two hundred dollar. Right, that means what you need to figure out is where the one thousand eight hundred come from, and this one hundred eight thousand come from it can be drawing down or you can be uh fully deployed all your cash to build a dividend portfolio to really cover this one thousand five hundred. So from there you can decide what is the allocation to your REIT and also what are the allocation to your CPF line because not many people they are able to top up their CPF line to the ERS enhanced retirement sum to get a two thousand two hundred dollar. Right, some of them maybe they just have a, 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 a enough money to go for the full retirement sum FRS. So it, it's very really depends. 
But all these things is better to talk to your uh, financial planner to really work it up because because it's very very important. You don't go and figure away, figure yourself what is the exact location. Actually, this is one of those rare times in our podcast because we usually have to say that this is not financial advice because well, I am not a certified financial advisor, so I cannot give financial advice. But actually, you can. Yeah, I can. <laughs> I can. can give advice yeah, because yeah. you are actually certified. But I would still have to say you have to do your own due diligence, yeah. do your own homework, talk to your financial advisor, and it really depends on your situation. Like you mentioned, like um, for example, what is the standard of living that you want? Is it you want four thousand a month, three thousand a month? It, it all plays a part. And yeah. therefore, you will recommend accordingly. Right. But do you have a s- specific sectors? I mean, there are so many different kinds of REITs, right? For retirement planning, do you have like certain sectors of REITs that you look at? Mm. So when we have not moved into retirement age one, we can uh, take a little bit more risk. Okay, because REIT, there are two elements uh, we can play. The first element is always focus on dividend. Right when it come to uh, focus on dividend, we always look at those REIT with a uh, very big market capitalization and also with a very strong sponsor, because relatively those are the safer REIT. But when you save, your return you be drop, you be you be low. So those uh, big cap REIT in Singapore typically give you uh, between four to five percent. It's still pretty decent if you look at it. It's better than putting your money in, in, in the bank. It's kind of in line with CPF. Right, in line with CPF. 4 to 5% uh, is, is pretty safe also, right? Because you are talking about investing in the Singapore uh, shopping mall, in the Singapore real estate, right? And unless the Singapore is invaded by other countries, then the enemy bomb all our shopping mall, then, then our real estate will be estate. So, so basically, it's, it's pretty uh, safe to uh, allocate in those... Uh, I uh, so called is more on defensive that kind of read, right? Another element will be more on a capital appreciation, right? But when we move into retirement, if you do not have time to really monitor the market, it's not advisable to really look at those uh, read with a uh, huge uh, so called growth moving forward. Uh, but if you are not retired, have not retired yet, but you want to take some high risk that kind of read investing, you can look for the hospitality read, right? Because hospitality at the present moment is really beaten down. The price is trading below their net asset value. That means, in other words, it's undervalued. So when when if we recover uh, from the COVID nineteen, when you go for a full uh, economic recovery, definitely all this rate will be catching up. Because you just imagine now all of us have to stay at home. We are not able to travel, and we are quite sick of staying at home. Mm. If one day government open up for us to travel, I think all of us you go out. <laughs> you just <Chong>. go out. <laughs> right. Right. We go that's why when, when we go out, all this kind of hospitality sector, the hotel sector, you you start to do well. Then when they start to do well, uh the dividend you start to come back. And the dividend start to come back, your share price will go up. So sometimes it's really a no uh a no-brainer that uh, what are the sectors you'll be doing well, what are sector can make new money in the rich space moving forward. We we can see that. But but of course during that period, this period, we need to make sure whatever hospitality rate we are holding, they are able to tong uh, can last through this period because its cash flow is the most important thing. They must have enough uh, uh cash flow, they must have a strong balance sheet to really tie over this period. If you are able to tie over this period, okay, that is a double confirmation. Those are very strong rate. During the bad time they still can survive, and when we have a full re- economic recovery, they will be the first one to rally. Just nobody knows the timeline, right? Because COVID-19, now there's the Delta variant and it depends on your, your age as well and whether you have a longer runway to, to let it recover. Yeah. So there's so many things to consider and That's now right. work from home, the office space is also like 
we don't know whether people will be needing an office anymore. So how, how do you factor all this? Time horizon is very important, right? If we really re- 100% rely on a dividend payout for retirement, then I would advise you don't touch those uh, too high risk ones, right? Because you do not know what's going to happen. In, in Singapore itself, although REIT is safe, but in Singapore, there is one REIT actually went bankrupt. Okay, in this is a history. This is the first time in our grid history. So REIT will go bankrupt if their cash flow is not able to really cover all the debt or obligation. So these are the things you have to really pay attention to, right? But if you are able to wait, you have a longer time horizon. For example, you are still young, 35 years old, 40 years old, you have another 10 more years, 20 years to go. By all means, you can allocate some of the maybe 20% or 30% of portfolio right and 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 to this kind of a uh, high growth uh sector okay so you mentioned that the the safer ones are the big caps and the relatively risky ones if you have a longer time horizon will be in in this case hospitality any other so-called risky but have the potential for higher returns in near uh, future retail is less risky than the hospitality right because retail for example if you're looking at our orchard there are a few read over there, right? Mm. Like Star Hill Global, SPH read, they have some property in the orchard itself. When when uh, we open a border, then the tourists will come back. But during this period, all, all these week, they still can survive. So you should not have any big problem. Mm. Well, they say that e-commerce is coming. I don't know about other countries, but I think in Singapore, right? <laughs> Singaporeans still love to shop. We, we still can go out. I mean, because of the distance is so nearer, we can go to the shopping malls easily. But maybe in other countries, you know, they say that e-commerce and then it will affect the retail rates. Mm-hmm. E-commerce will not affect the retail rate in Singapore, right? So don't read into those news newspaper too much. Because one thing for you to invest uh, smartly is to do just walk around all the uh, mall in Singapore, right? And you, especially all the suburban mall, it's so packed, right? And Singapore, where can we go? We got no place to go, right? So so retail mall will definitely continue to do well in, in Singapore and e-commerce will not be affected because we are just too small, right? We are talking about uh, uh, US, they're using drone to do the home delivery, we can't even have a drone. You don't have to. You can you just go out. Your shopping mall is there already. <laughs> in Singapore, we're very very lucky, of course. We're very fortunate. So so in short, e-commerce will not have a big impact on the on the, the Singapore mall space itself. Mm-hmm. And also now, if if you look at the, the mall itself, because of the strong sponsor or no, they know how to be innovative. They know how to change a business model uh, pretty fast. Now the mall in Singapore is not a shopping mall. It's a big food court. Right, yeah. first floor, second floor. Basically, you can see all the restaurant there. Then after that, third floor, fourth floor become tuition center. It's the experiential that come more. Those are the activity we'll gather together. Right, it, it, it's changing. It's not traditional. You go and buy those uh, clothes. Uh, go and buy those uh, gadget toy. Do, do, I think those are the more you'll be suffer in the e-commerce space. Mm, okay, so. Now that we, we talk about retail, we talk about hospitality, like what kind of REITs are you yourself focused on? Retail, at the present moment, I'm focusing mainly for my core portfolio. I have two portfolio. And also for a professional investor, we always have a core portfolio and also have a tactical portfolio. We call it a satellite portfolio. So typical allocation, you'll be 70% core, 30% uh, satellite, right? Core, basically, you are holding for long term. Right, you are uh, selecting all those strong and defensive uh, read in this core portfolio. You just focus on getting a dividend. 
So my core portfolio basically uh, consists of uh, mainly on a suburban retail mall, right? I'm not focusing on those in the Orchard Road, right? And also not in the like Vivo City or, or Plaza Singapore, those things. Those are not in my core because those are very dependent on the tourists, okay? And But I'm playing those waiting for border reopening in my satellite portfolio. Mm, okay. right? So when you play a satellite portfolio, uh, I'm, I'm using a technical analysis to help me. And I'm also um, be prepared to see the big drawdown in terms of the, the DPO. So, so I have different criteria for different portfolio. Okay, so help me understand a bit about the satellite portfolio using this term. So it's something more risky or things that you want to, like you have a certain hypothesis and you want to test it out and therefore you put it in the satellite portfolio. Satellite mainly is more on tactical play. Tactical. Yeah, tactical. Tactical that means that when I, when I find opportunity to go in, when it hits certain price target in terms of valuation, right, I will get out. Yeah, okay. Right. Mm. It's, it's a little bit of trading over there to really maximize the, the return. Right. For example, definitely hospitality sector is not in the in the call because I don't expect any good dividend coming in. But hospitality at the present moment, the valuation is beaten down. It can be 20%, 30% discount to their uh, book value. And I know that I know pretty clear that because you look at historical price, you know that before the COVID-19, maybe they're trading a book value of 1.2 times on the trade time. If at the present moment, the price to book is only 0.7, Pre-COVID is 1.2. You can see that immediately you have 0.5 opportunity, maybe 50% growth opportunity. I just play on that one. But when I'm looking at a satellite portion, I have to look at different metric, different criteria. I cannot look at dividend as a criteria because if you look at dividend as a criteria, that's a wrong criteria. You're not going to get any dividend anyway. So price to book is a very important criteria. The second thing is their interest coverage ratio. Okay, basically, interest cover ratio represents that how much rental income you generate per month uh, and, and their ability to pay off their interest expense. Like the normal property investing, you need to make sure rental income come in is sufficient enough to pay off your mortgage. That is a ratio. The higher, the better. So I need to make sure the ICR is high enough for them to tie through the whole period. Right, but if the ICI is too low, means that at any time they can go bankrupt. When they go bankrupt, your whole rip will be suspended. So it's a little bit risky in that case. Mm, okay, so the metrics ICR, PB, price to book. What else? What other metrics do you look at? And also gearing. Gearing. Mm. Yeah, gearing is a uh, is ability to borrow. If you have very high gearing, that means your ability to borrow is much more lower. Mm. And if during that time you want to ask for money, but at the time of time no bank want to loan your money, you are screwed. Mm. So, so uh, to define gearing is debt. Debt divided by your know, total asset value, right? But in Singapore itself, uh, the the MS has regulation to have a fifty percent, right? That, that's why if you are closer to a fifty percent mark, you are not able to really uh, continue to borrow more money. If you are not able to borrow more money, the only way is either you have to sell your own property, or you have to issue additional share to raise fund. Once you issue additional shares, you raise fund, your share price will drop. Then when the share price drop immediately, you lose money on the capital side. Mm. Okay, so core portfolio, satellite portfolio, what's the main difference between the two? The main difference uh, between the two is one is more stable in terms of dividend. Stable, you look at what metrics? Uh, DPO. DPO, okay. Right, DPO. That means they are able to generate the DPO uh, in a consistent and also uh, in the long-term growth. You can see from a DPO payout. 
Okay. Yeah. That, that one, you, the many, you don't touch it, right? Because they are really strong. It's quite boring. It's supposed to be boring, right? If you feel that your reinvesting is just too boring, nothing much to do, you want some excitement, that means you are doing the right thing, right? Okay. Investment is not always you want to go for excitement. No, <laughs> that's the wrong thing, right? When you have too much excitement, that means your portfolio is not doing... <laughs> you are trading. You are not constructing a portfolio properly, right? And the satellite portion will be more on a short-term basis. It's more on tactical if something changed in the market condition, you have to either cut loss because they can tend to be more volatile. Because one of the benefits of REIT is while waiting for capital appreciation, you still can get a dividend. So, so you're, you're being paid for waiting. Mm. So I use a, a REIT uh, for my satellite portfolio. Okay, so satellite portfolio more of like growth opportunity. Your core portfolio, DPU is very important. Like your dividends coming in has have to be very important. Right, that's right. Okay, so that's the main difference in how you allocate accordingly. So uh, what, what do you have in each of them? Like how, how about your core portfolio? What do you have in your core portfolio right now? I have some industrial read, right? Those those big cap and the massive link. Mm. How how worse can it go? The massive link, that means that Singapore government own part of it, mm. right? So that will give me the stability, giving uh, quite a decent dividend, right? And also long-term-wise, they are able to grow. And also have some uh, U.S. Uh, commercial rate office, uh, office rate uh, in my portfolio because surprisingly, everybody thought about work from home, mm. right? And uh, the rate will be affected, the occupancy will be affected. But if you really look at all those financial ratio and look at all the earnings, U.S. office is not really affected. People are still going to the office? Is that what you're saying? The occupancy rate is still pretty high. Mm, okay. And also the lease expiry is still pretty long, right? That, that means that uh, over the long term, maybe a few years time, the DBO will not be affected. That means I can see some predictability and also sustainability of the dividend coming in from a core portfolio, right? And beside that, in my core portfolio, as what I said just now, I have a suburban mall, right? Suburban mall able to give me about 4 to 5%, why not, right? Okay. It's still better. Then, then the, the satellite portion will be more on the tactical, like hospitality sector. Mm. And also, uh, I have some uh, retail more, luxury more portion. Because I'm betting on the border reopening. Okay. Right? Border reopening, trades coming in, the spending and the retail sales goes up. Then that will boost out the DPO. When the DPO goes up, your share price will go up. Okay? Once I hit that level, maybe I will just uh, restructure again. Mm. I, I, I take take profit and I'll switch to somewhere. Okay, so core portfolio, you have your suburban malls, you have your industrial and you have your office space and then satellite, you have hospitality and the luxury malls. Did I miss out anything? How about um, data centers? Data center, I I start to accumulate because the, of the recent correction in the big cat space. Data center is, for me, is the in the core portfolio because I have a strong conviction on the long-term growth of the data center. Okay, so let's talk about analyzing all these different reads, right? You have fundamentals, you have the technical. Like, how do you approach them in terms of analyzing the reads? Okay, uh, basically I'm using FATAMA. Mm. Fundamental analysis, technical analysis, and also macro analysis. Because macro is still very important, right? Once you know how the macro can affect the read itself, uh, then I will know that uh, what kind of FA data, fundamental, basically look at financial ratio, which financial ratio makes sense. It, it cannot just... Uh, apply across the board blindly the financial ratio 
right? Today you have very high gearing or have very high yield does not mean that you are okay or you're not okay. It depends on the, the, the situation. So I always start from the fundamental analysis first because first thing first, I have to identify what the reads are good fundamentally to put into my watch list. That is the most important thing because after analysis, you are not going to buy tomorrow. You have to watch and have to wait for the right timing. So fundamental analysis, I are looking at the basic uh, uh, three key financial ratio, distribution yield, but just take note distribution yield, they are, they are lagging. It's a past data, right? You just take that one as a reference. Gearing, they are also lagging. PNF, price deal by NAV, they are also lagging. So I look at these three uh, initial metrics to do the screening. It's helped me to do screening only. Then I will move into looking at the qualitative analysis, right? Because uh, the financial ratio, they are quantitative. Qualitative, I'll look at the how diversified are the portfolio, who are the sponsor, where are the location, what are the investment mandate, uh, those things to, to make some judgment call, right? Then the third one, you'll become to the risk assessment. Uh, risk assessment, typically I will look at the weighted average list expiry, whether it's long or short, and depends on the economic environment. For example, under the poor economic uh, environment or during a recession, you want your lease profile as long as possible so that you will not be impacted by the tenant after they expire the, the lease, they are not going to continue. But during the economic boom, booming session, you want the lease to be as short as possible so that you are able to capitalize the increasing rental in the market itself. So there is no one fixed formula on whether it should be long or should be short. So investor, if they don't know, know what they are investing, they will be analyzing the wrong thing. So uh, list expiry is one of the risk assessment uh, area that I'm looking at. The other area I am looking at is the weighted average debt maturity. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And a lot of wrong perception in the investor itself, when the interest rate goes up, share price will come down. Because they jump into conclusion, when interest rate goes up, that means the cost of that you're going up, the DPU will be you, you mm. drop. Right? Well, that's what the textbook says, but actually the economy hasn't been following the textbook for the past few years. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> right. It's not true at all. Because if you look at the uh, debt maturity profile, some of the rate that debt only expire in three to four years later. That means that they have already locked in the fixed interest rate for a three to four years later. So whatever changes in the current uh, interest rate, basically no impact on the rate itself. So we have to look at the debt maturity uh, profile to really identify whether there's, there's any uh, reaction to the DPO payout. For example, during the low interest environment, we want the debt maturity profile as short as possible so that when you refinance, you refinance at a lower cost. Right? In the... If, if the uh, interest rate is going going up now, what the REIT can do is they can bring forward to redeem all your, your debt maybe in the next one or two years' time, right? Then refinance a, as, a, as a lower 
uh, lower interest to really capture the top opportunity. So it's very much depends on what the REIT manager is going to do. So the the uh, so the quality of the management decision is very, very important, right? Those are the quality and also risk-asset perspective. Mm, so to put it all together, you use fundamental analysis to identify which companies, no, which REITs to put on your watch list. And then you use technical analysis to determine which you know, price point to enter the market. That's right. for that's for timing, right? That's the timing. And then behind all of it is the MA, your macro the analysis, macro. understanding which part of the economy are we at. I mean, right now we're not fully recovered, that's for sure. But we're not at the the bottom of the economy as well, right? It's like we're sort of slowly recovering, but there's always uncertainty about whether COVID or like new variants will affect this recovery. So we have to understand the economy as well. One very important thing to take note that in the investment world, there are something called is a mega trend. There are something called a noise, right? Noise, you'll be subjected to all this kind of economic news, uh, economic data, and also COVID and the noises. But you cannot beat the mega trend. The mega trend, as long as you run on a mega trend, you manage your popular volatility, you are good with it. So what is the current mega trend? The current mega trend is we are under the low interest environment. We are not going to see the interest rate goes up to very high level in the next two years because uh, US Federal Reserve, you talk about, they want to raise the interest rate in 2023. At the present moment, I don't think they will increase the interest rate because at the present moment, we are still not getting out COVID yet. It's still pretty fragile, pretty weak in the economy. So under the low interest environment, this is a very good support to the whole real estate sector. Because you just imagine if a property investor, if you're getting the bank loan, okay, I, I just did a research on, I think the uh, mortgage loan in Singapore is about 1%. Mm. It's surprisingly low. You just imagine you borrow money 1% and you invest in the property, maybe give you 3 to 4%, you immediately can get arbitrage. This is how the investor make money using the interest arbitrage concept. So definitely under the low interest rate environment, that will encourage a lot of acquisition. At the same time, you also uh, encourage people to borrow more money for aggressive uh, uh, buying all the rate for the future growth. Okay. Right? But in on the other hand itself, uh, under cheap uh, money and all right. frequent liquidity, right, that will inflate all the asset price. Right? Now, last year, last year, why all the net asset value uh, of the REIT being bidden down? If you look at the valuation model for all the property, the analysts always use either the discounted cash flow model, right? Basically, you can see all the rental income for the next 10 years, right? Last year, whenever the analysts put some uh, rental forecast, they are not going to put very high number. Nobody dare to put very high number because there's no visibility, right? You just imagine, we are coming up from the COVID-19, most likely, they will start to be more aggressive in the rental forecast, right? They'll adjust the growth rate. It will be even higher. When the growth rate becomes higher, your valuation of property value goes up, right? That is one of the uh, uh, valuation models using discounted cash flow. The other model, you'll be using a comparative method, right? If you look at all the surrounding property, what is a, what is a uh, uh, price per square foot, PSF that they are selling, right? If... if the whole property market is on the uh, increasing trend. The price PSF will increase. That means you increase all the all the valuation. So moving forward, your NAV your goes up, and your price here to cash up. The stock price have to cash up to maintain that kind of ratio. Mm. Okay, so let's look at trends. Uh, let's look at S three. So tell us about the fluctuations in the S three S three index this year. 
So actually, S Street has been moving sideways for the past one year. It's really going nowhere. They are, uh, the the index itself, they are trading within a range of seven seven five to eight nine zero, right? It's it's pretty wide range. Uh, at the present moment, on the last Friday close, they are testing the resistance of eight nine zero for past one or two weeks. Mm, for reference, today we are recording uh, on National Day. <laughs> National Day. Okay. So I think at the present moment, the read index is eight eight two. Last Friday, and and we have an announcement come up. We are getting up from phase two. We're definitely opening up the economy. We are going opening up tomorrow, mm. tomorrow. So I'm watching tomorrow to see whether there is any positive reaction on the re-index itself. If the re-index can be convincingly break uh, this resistance and also uh, trade above 900 points, that will kickstart the new bull run for the whole uh, re-index Singapore. Well, I think what's interesting is that you can go on a time travel with us because we're recording this but it won't be posted immediately and so when you're listening to this podcast the listener like you can track back to what Kenny is saying so you're looking at the data to see if that it will kickstart the next bull run yeah yeah. opening up means we can go out and eat we can gather in bigger groups yeah the news just come comes out a, a few days ago mm. so at the present moment it's also at a resistance so if the investor or the institutional fund that have a higher confidence, uh, Singapore is really moving into the full economic recovery, they'll move their money into a Singapore REIT market, right? Because I have done a study on the US REIT index uh, and also US REIT ETF. They have been on the uptrend for many, many months, but Singapore is still moving sideways. Hmm. And if you are treating COVID-19 as endemic, then what well, we sh- by right we shouldn't be going back to a, a lockdown situation. But then we we, j- we just don't know. We, we just don't unlikely, know what's going to happen. Unlikely, I don't think so because we have already uh, gone through the worst, and I don't think we'll go back to hundred percent lockdown. No way, no way. Because during that time, a lot of things still uncertain. We don't have a testing kit. Now we know this COVID nineteen much more than other people. Right, we know how to contain contain them. We know how to detect them. We know how to prevent them. We how not to cure them. So we are much more better now. So so I also understand there are a lot of uh, investors out there still worry about oh are we going to have another crash. Mm. But personally, I don't think so. The current situation are totally different. Okay, so to summarize the the S reads, they are moving sideways so far this year. But you're looking forward to when the economy opens up, that there will be a bull run in terms of the the prices of the Singapore reads. But that's looking at Singapore situation. But so many local reads are buying overseas property as well. So how does that affect the the whole valuation of the reads? When they okay, the the reason why the Singapore read has to go overseas is because Singapore is still too small. Uh, we are in the land scarce uh, environment a lot of good property already be returned. So we got nothing good one left to really to be acquired. But the REIT manager, they have the investment mandate. They have to grow the portfolio, grow their AUM asset under management and also grow their DPU year over year. They have to do that because that's the KPI. So if they are not able to find any good one or accretive acquisition in Singapore itself, they have to go overseas. Right, because at the present moment, uh, because of the strength of the Sing dollar itself, they are able to really buy uh, overseas at a cheaper rate, and at the same time, they have a much higher yield than compared to Singapore. But this also exposed to another such uh, uh, a risk, uh, such as a forex risk, regulation risk, 
and also the the local economic risk, and also government government risk. So all these risks has to be compensated. So in order for those uh, read who want to go overseas, they need to give a uh, investor a higher uh, DPU. Uh, in order for the investor to to invest in them, mm, can you maybe share with us a general idea, right? How much exposure they have to all these foreign property? Because I'm guessing we're looking at Singapore situation, but if they have like invested in overseas property, then maybe the situation in Singapore will affect it only to a certain extent. Mm. Right? It also depends on what's happening overseas. And you know, the thing about COVID is that no country is safe until all countries are safe. Yeah. So so there are certain correlation when you look at the DPOU itself. Right. For example, if you're looking at the Fraser Center Point, which have a hundred percent shopping mall in Singapore, the yield trading between four to five percent. Right. And if you're looking at the one of a grocery and also a retail uh, in US, uh, that one is a United Hampshire REIT that will give you about seven percent. Can you see the spread? Right. There were two to three percent spread. Mm. And if you compare the industrial sector, for example, Maple Tree Industrial Trust, um, Maple Tree Logistic Trust, and also Ascenders, uh, REIT, they are trading also between 4 to 5%. But if you compare to the European REIT, for example, Cromwell European REIT, the yield is about 7 to 8%. And IRI Global, they also have the office in Europe, especially in Germany and also Spain, the yield about 7%. You know, the growth is still in overseas. I mean, there's limitations in Singapore market. Yeah. We all know that. The growth in overseas definitely is overseas. And if you compare to the office rate, Singapore office rate, you have Suntech, you have a Kepler uh, rate, the yield about 3 to 4%. It's pretty low. Mm-hmm. But if you compare to the US uh, office rate, 789, that's the spread. Okay. So if you want to have some excitement, right, but you have some higher yield, there are some of the good re- out there uh, having the overseas property, I think it's, it's good to look at. Okay. Because I don't think the currency fluctuation can wipe out 3 or 4% the yield spread. Hmm. So let's take a look at some international REITs. What international REITs are you looking at? Does it include China REITs and also foreign listed REITs in Singapore? Okay, for China this year, they have already uh, made the build on those China read on the uh, Shanghai and also Shenzhen Stock Exchange. And and recently, I have uh, received a lot of inquiry from some of the Chinese investors ask me how to do the valuation on the China read itself. They don't know how to do a valuation. Where is the data coming from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty new to them. And and basically, okay, in, in short, China read is different from Singapore at the present moment. Because Singapore, we are talking about acquiring the industrial building, acquiring a factory, office, shopping mall. But China read at the present moment, they are just focused on infrastructure, right? And infrastructure, there are a lot of government-linked uh, business. They are just they, they just want to, to have a private investor to really pump the money into infrastructure. So at the present moment, I don't have data on, on this China infrastructure. Personally, I don't feel comfortable at the present moment hmm. for China read. Okay, because the infrastructure is totally another area that may not be so transparent. Do you have a source for the financial reports? No. No, right? Not yet. I mean, unlike Singapore and, of course, US listed REITs. Yeah. The, the next thing I will look at it because I also want to master a China read. That will be my next homework, my next mm, your, your satellite portfolio. Satellite. <laughs> the, the exciting part. Yeah, exciting part. <laughs> yeah. But because of the China read introduction in China, that will indirectly to create a lot of China investors they want to invest in REIT. The reason being is because REIT is a very good concept. 
right? But they are not comfortable with the China REIT because they are still very new. They prefer to look at some other country REIT, for example, Singapore or US, which is more mature and more transparent and easy to do the valuation, mm. right? And although China is at the present moment focusing on infrastructure, but I think very soon they'll open up uh, our China REIT to acquire on those uh, business park in China, hotel, shopping mall in China. It, it's a next step. Definitely will be a next step if you look at that trend. And at the present moment, uh, the US REIT market is the largest. It's about $1 trillion. One trillion market capitalization. Singapore is only one hundred billion. China is considered zero. They are just the, at the infant stage. You just imagine, if if US is the economic superpower, China they always want to play the catch up. Mm. So I can see that China itself they have a huge growth moving forward. They will definitely catch up for, for to, to US. And and one good thing about. Uh, some of the REIT listed in Singapore, for example, Capital Land uh, China Trust. Uh, this year, they just expanded a mandate to invest in the business park in China, data center, hotel, and also some of the commercial office. Those are the, the, the way I look at it, I, I really applaud the management for uh, making this decisive decision to expand the mandate to capture the, the market opportunity because this is the first mover advantage. Even the China REIT itself, they are not able to acquire all this property. But Capital Land go in there, change it from the retail, pure retail play to a multi-asset kind of play. They also have their own satellite portfolio. I mean, they have their core and then yeah. new growth opportunities. Yeah, new growth opportunity. Mm. And and so far, no none of the REIT, none of the REIT in Singapore have a data center in China. You just imagine data, China is already moving towards the e-commerce. They are so advanced but we don't have anything in the data center in China. But Capital Land itself, they have already acquired data center. Who knows, maybe in future or near future, they'll pump this data center into CLCT. Mm, okay. So China reads right now, you're saying there's infrastructure and then later on you'll have business parks, you have data centers. Well, and soon enough, I, I think there'll be the retail reads as well because uh, China wants to, to raise the standard of living, right? Increase domestic consumption. And so you'll see see how it plays out in, in China. So you're doing your homework. Have you dabbled in? Have you, you know, tried something on your own or is it just like researching? Researching. Place? At the present moment, I dare not touch the infrastructure. Mm, mm. Right, at the present moment just learning and when there's the right opportunity if, if the timing is right then you will maybe right. get in as part of a satellite normally I will wait and, uh, for two or three years to monitor the performance because they have to because every in Singapore itself every quarter they have to uh, release the earnings or give some business update I'm not sure about China how frequent they give this kind of business update so through all those earning release through the management decision you roughly know that how they make the decision whether they are able to deliver what they have committed that's the most important thing if they are able to do that consecutively for the next a few years you know that more or less this these are the, the stable one these are the reputable one. Oh, do you know how do we buy china reads though right now i have no idea <laughs> exactly i'm like okay like if i want to buy let's say i'm, I'm i want to take risk and how do i buy yeah I you should know. be able to buy somewhere i don't know right but, okay but i know but i i did do a research on the hong kong read and also the australia read but after I spent some time on the Hong Kong one and also uh, Australia one, at the end of the day, I, I still pull my focus back to focus on Singapore. Mm-hmm. Because nothing exciting. The most exciting is all in Singapore. <laughs> what do you mean by the most exciting all in Singapore? Because at the end of the day, the f- first thing first, when you invest in REIT itself, we're looking for dividend. So, for example, Hong Kong, there's one link REIT 
is the Asia Pac largest retail rate. The dividend is about three three percent, and also traded in Hong Kong currency. There's a forex risk, right? Three percent, I can find something good one backed by the market in, in Singapore. So I don't really need to go up to to Hong Kong to look for all those rate, right? On the Australia one, they have some of the very uh, diversified. They can rate you give you about five six percent. I also can find in Singapore. Mm. Is it is nothing? How about foreign listed rates in Singapore? Do you look at them? Listed rate. Uh, just now I mentioned that elite, elite commercial rate. They are holding the some of the commercial office in UK, and their tenant are UK government. So they just IPO. I think uh one or two years ago. So far the performance has been good, and also the dividend is as per the IPO, uh, committed in the IPO. No, no surprise. Uh, the only concern for me is is because they are newly IPO, and also uh, if you look at how the sponsor start to form together, I think they have three sponsor. They form a group together to acquire the property. They after that they they read it. So I have a little bit of concern on on the sponsor itself because typically they are two type of sponsor. Uh, one type of sponsor will be the developer turn sponsor. Developer turn sponsor like Capital Land, like CDL, Maple Tree, they have a pipe, a pipeline or a property to be injected for the capital recycling. So, so they have a clear strategy. The other type of sponsor is a financial sponsor. You know, the financial sponsor when they group together, they just want to make money, right? So they may not re- really concern about the long term growth. It's none of their business long term. So, so I'm a little bit uh wary of those uh, financial sponsor. I need to wait to see uh, how's the performance before I, I make a next decision, right? And the other one will be a Cromwell uh, so far is doing good in Europe. They are expanding the portfolio. They are changing and also restructuring the portfolio to be more logistics-centric because moving forward, if you are talking about all the e-commerce logistic sector, you'll be the main uh, uh, economic pillar to supporting the kind of growth. And some of the other, re- for example, BHG retail mall, that one is focusing on the China retail mall. So far, it's a pretty uh, small rate and also not so liquid. I, I basically, I, I don't touch. Mm, okay. Thank you, Kenny. Uh, shared a lot with us today. Hey, I hope you learned something useful today and I truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconuts. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community telegram group, follow us on our socials, sign up for our weekly newsletter. Everything is in the description. For more information, check out thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead, stay tuned next week and remember, personal finance can be chill, clear and sustainable for all. I have three questions for you. What is your core life principle? Core life principle? Mm. One core life principle that you hold. You can answer it any way you want. Whatever that comes to your mind. Trustworthy. Mm. Trustworthy and always do the right thing. Right? And because that, that is also guide me uh, when I'm advising my client and also uh, leading my team. I always tell them, I know that uh, on, in our life itself, we have certain criteria, we have certain priority, we have certain KPI to meet, right? And some of the KPI, you know that uh, you, you do something maybe uh, not ethical or do the thing not properly to meet a KPI. But at the end of the day, this is not sustainable. More important thing, they always believe in themselves doing the right thing. 
right? Because doing the right thing is the most important thing. Trustworthiness. Trustworthiness. Okay. What is one piece of financial advice that you think should be shared more often? Everyone should have basic financial literacy because if giving a chance for me to go back 20 or 30 years uh, again when I first come out from uh, university. But by the way, financial planning is not taught in the, in the university or in any syllabus. I think that is one of the things that we probably have to educate more people. If I come up from a university again, I would love to have a financial advisor as my mentor so that to guide me to do the proper thing. Because if I think back, a lot of things, I, actually I can retire much more earlier <laughs> if I do things properly. Because we have limited financial resources when we come out from university. The most important thing is we must know how to optimize our financial resources doing the right thing and locate into the right thing. Right? One, one, one very simple example. Actually, insurance is very, very important. Okay? But uh, buying the right type of insurance is as important. You don't go and buy the wrong thing. I only start to realize it. Uh, I bought the wrong insurance okay, uh, when I reached 40 years old. And when you buy insurance at the too late age, uh, the insurance premium is very Premium is, uh, is, is very expensive. So, so at the present moment, I'm doing all the right thing for my children. I upfront, I give them, uh, uh, I bought them some plan that can uh, last them throughout the whole life. That will be the, my best gift to them. Today, they may not thank me. But when my children reach 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, they'll thank me for that. Because they don't need to worry about the insurance premium next time. Because the insurance premium, when you if you buy when they are still baby, you, you imagine how cheap is the insurance premium. Mm. So get financial knowledge as soon as you can. It's the piece of advice that you think we should all be hearing more often, right? Yeah. Okay, my last question for you today is, what is one area of your life that you are giving additional focus? At the present moment, uh, because there are some inquiry from China itself uh, to understand about uh, Singapore REITs, so at the present moment, I'm focusing on uh, coming out of the syllabus itself to be able to teach all those China investors or even some other broker in China how to do the valuation of the Singapore REIT. It's more education, so I can help the China side to really uh, help them to grow the China REIT sector. And I'm, I'm, I'm working with SGX on, on, on this uh, syllabus. But by the way, I'm also the trainer for SGX Academy. Right. This is the thing I'm focusing at the present moment. So we can expect more investments from overseas into our local REITs yeah, from China, right? Definitely, because the more we educate the overseas investor, especially China, we don't need a lot of people. We just need 1% of the investor come to Singapore. Mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. that will support the whole Singapore REIT sector. Okay. <laughs> it's good for everybody. Okay, you, you heard it here first. Thank you, Kenny. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. All right, thanks. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.